Our passage this week comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 through 8. Uh, This is the second temptation of Christ, uh, as recorded by Luke. Uh, And I will read, though, I will begin reading at verse 1 of chapter 4 and through the 8th verse, but we will be looking at verses 5 through 8. Before I read, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come again before you, and we thank you uh, that you have given us this word, uh, that you gave this word by your Holy Spirit, uh, that we know that this is the eternal word, uh, designed to uh, profit us, designed to teach and correct and reprove us, to instruct us in all righteousness, that we might be thoroughly furnished to every good work in Jesus Christ, our Savior. And we ask, Father, that your word would not go and return to you void today, but that it would quicken us and enliven our faith, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to behold uh, your mercy and your conquest in our Savior. We pray uh, that Christ would be alive in our hearts and that we would go forth bearing that precious fruit of your gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, the Evangelist, chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being forty days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God... Command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them. For that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Grass withers, and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Here we have, uh, according to to Luke, the second temptation. If you uh, read and compare, the temptations are given in full by both uh, Luke and by Matthew. Uh, They uh, are the same uh, in text, but they are not the same in order. The first is the same, but the second and third are switched by them. Uh, This you often find in the Gospels, that there isn't really a chronological, there's a broad chronological uh, attention, but... Usually, they uh, arrange things to suit their record. What they are, uh, what is best to to bring out the primary purpose of those uh, of the gospel, the primary interest of the audience to each one, and and so they will uh, arrange things sometimes in that thematic way. I don't know. Uh, I, I can tell you good arguments on either way. Which one is the actual order that Christ received these temptations? It doesn't matter. Uh, if, if you look at the answer that Christ gives to Satan, uh, then it, Matthew's order makes sense that the devil leaves when Jesus tells him to get behind me. 
uh, that to go away. Um, your pew Bible will not have the get behind me Satan because it assumes that it's there as a copyist transposed it from Matthew. But the words are not the same in the Greek. And uh, this is an old witness and testimony and, and frankly uh, is, is, should be probably kept there. Uh, we uh, preach it as I have it. Uh, and, and, and it is exactly proper. But regardless, uh, Jesus has been tempted in the wilderness. The first temptation sought to undermine Christ's trust in his father. Uh, he was 40 days fasting, we are told by all the gospel writers, and he was hungry. And he was hungry because of the devotion that he gave to the Lord, because of that drawing near in prayer and fasting. And it was natural then uh, to, for the devil to come and, and to, 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 to refresh him, to, or to offer refreshment as, as the one that stands in the place. And he even cites the power that he had. After all, uh, Jesus has just come from his baptism where the Holy Ghost in the bodily form of a dove comes down upon him. And the voice out of heaven, after it is opened up, says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Well, if the Lord is well pleased with you as he was pleased with uh, the prophets of old and the great uh, kings of old, and if you are the Messiah, then certainly you could take this rock here and make bread for yourself. In other words, uh, the devil is trying to get him to play up his divine nature and play down his human nature that he had taken on for the deliverance of human beings, mankind, out of sin. And, and he, is, he is trying to get him uh, to think less of God's providential care and not wait upon his care and his promises and to, to run ahead and accomplish his goals uh, without a look the Lord, which would have ruined his mission on your behalf and my behalf. And he's still at it this time. Uh, the, the devil takes him up onto a, a high mountain and in a glance shows him the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And we're told by Luke that he does this in a moment of time. Perhaps, perhaps it's a moment of time and not a long lingering look because uh, in all the civilizations of the world, if you take a deeper look over their glories, you find the, the ugly underpinning uh, beneath them. The beautiful stone in the garden that you lift up and all the roaches and the worms and the sort of thing that are underneath it. Uh, perhaps the devil just wants him to have a, a, an overview there. It doesn't, we don't know. And it's useless to wonder how this is done. If it is a phantasm before Jesus' mind or... Uh, certainly there's no high mountain that is high enough to view all the kingdoms of the world naturally, but this is the devil we're talking about. Natural doesn't come into the, the equation. Anyway, they're presented before him. And they're presented before him, as the devil says, as things under his power and under his authority and under his control. That he has been given, he doesn't say by whom, but... He has been given this authority, and he can give to whomever he wishes. And Jesus, you have set before you this, this bitter cup of woe. You're going as a lamb for the slaughter. But it doesn't have to be that way. 
You have come to take possession of the nations. I have it now, and I am offering it to you. And the words in Luke are not worship, literally. It's literally, just make a bow before me. And it's in a tense that he's not speaking of a a habitual state of mind. He's speaking of just, just give me this little obeisance. Just acknowledge that this authority has been given to me. Just make some supplication and, and uh, some service to me. And you will not have to carry that cup of woe on behalf of God your Father. The Father is too narrow. Compromise a little and all will be yours. This is the message of Satan. And Satan, it is important to understand, the devil does exercise a princely dominion. Verse 6 again. Then the devil said unto him, All this power or all this authority will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. Uh, Jesus himself acknowledges that, that, uh, that the devil is a strong man. Uh, This is in chapter 11, as we saw last week, in verse 20 through 22. He acknowledges that the world does lay under the power of a tyrant. He says, but if I with the finger of God cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. And he gives this parable. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him. He taketh from him all his armor wherein he trusted, and he divideth his spoils. Christ can say this because Satan was, is, that strong man that holds the unredeemed world under his power. In John 14.30, in the upper room, uh, Jesus speaking to his disciples, uh, warning them that he is fixing to be delivered into the hands of his enemies. He says, hereafter I will not talk much with you, For the prince of this world cometh and hath nothing in me. Notice what he calls him, the prince of the world. That's a language of authority. It's a language of power. Uh, It is interesting. Uh, He holds this power. He says all of it has been given to me. He holds this power from somewhere. He would have perhaps Jesus uh, uh, ponder uh, the divine sovereignty and note that the devil can have nothing that God does not allow him to take for whatever God's purposes. Although that doesn't give him authority. Uh, that just gives him power, ability. But in a very real sense, he does have a, a power that is handed over to him by sinful men. And so in chapter 22... Uh, as as this, the, the, the Sanhedrin come out against Jesus Christ. In chapter, uh, chapter 20, uh, 22, verses 52 and 53, Jesus remarks and tells them, He says unto the chief priest and the captains of the temple and the elders which were come to him, Be ye come, come out as against a thief with swords and staves. When I was daily with you in the temple, ye stretched forth no hand against me. But this is your hour... But whose is it really? And the power of darkness. Paul in Ephesians uh, chapter three, uh, 2 writes, And you have he quickened, made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, 
wherein some past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that is a reference to Satan and his princely power, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the, of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. What is Paul saying there? That yes, we were under bondage of Satan, and yes, he has a princely power over us as a tyrant, but ultimately we gave him that power. And we were responsible for it. Our sin, uh, our sin is what puts him there. He didn't come against God and wrestle us from him. He came against us. And offered in a different way. A rebellion. And so he does hold this power. But he holds it uh, democratically as it were. Uh, sinners themselves. And he empowers others. Uh, he's mentioned here to Christ. That he can give it to whomsoever he will. And we will see that he does indeed do this. That the powers of the world. Spiritual powers of the world. As well as the human powers of the world are often vassals of the devil. Revelation 13, verses 1 through 8. I stood upon the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his ten horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the names of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was like unto a leopard, and his feet were as the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and his great authority. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death and his deadly wound that was healed. And all the world wondered after the beast and they worshiped the dragon which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast saying, who is like unto the beast? Who is able to make war with him? And there was given unto him a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies and power was given unto him to continue forty and two months. And he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle and them that dwell in heaven. And it was given unto him to make war with the saints and to overcome. And power was given him over all kindreds and tongues and nations. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of, the, of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Notice the language there is constant. It was given unto him and he exercised it. But who, off, who was benefiting? We'll see uh, the beast, perhaps, but the dragon, the devil, that old serpent and deceiver was the one that was wielding the power. And it's important to understand that he is a liar. That he claims these things and he wields these powers, but he does so deceitfully. And he does so uh, uh, not as it really seems, or he would have it appear to you. In the same book, Revelation chapter 20, verse 1 and through 3, I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more. Till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Notice the emphasis is on deceiver. And to the beast. And to the false prophet. And to the whore of Babylon. All these uh, receive their power and, and uh, wealth. And promises from the devil that he could not fulfill. Because his doom also was there. 
His power is a usurped authority. His power doesn't belong on those nations. The one who had come to take the reign, to, to be the prophet and priest and king anointed of the Lord, had, it was right there in front of him. The one that God said, Thou art my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased, and anointed him not with the vanity oil of, of olives, and didn't anoint him with the perfume of frankincense and myrrh, but anointed him with himself with the Holy Spirit, of which he was full, we read in the first of of Luke chapter 4. If you turn to the second psalm, chapter 8, second psalm, verse 8. Well, the whole psalm, really. Psalm 2. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine vain things? The kings of the earth, who think they have it by right, set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, which is basically in the Hebrew Messiah, against his Christ, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. And he that sits in the heaven shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill as I am. And it changes. Perspective to the Son. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my Son, this day I have begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost part of the earth for thy possession. Turn to Psalm 22. Psalm 22, very famous. You should know it. It opens up with the, the words that are on the lips of Jesus Christ upon the cross. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It goes through in many of the events of the cross, seemingly uh, insignificant events. The, the soldiers gambling over his clothes are all there in that psalm. It is a psalm of Good Friday and the crucifixion, but it's also a psalm of Easter. Because through this forsakenness, through this misery, he takes up his reign. Takes up his life again to rule. And so in 27, uh, this one that was presumably forsaken by God... Then has this said, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee for the kingdom is the Lord's and he is the governor among the nations. All they that be fat upon the earth shall eat and worship. They all go down to the dust and they shall bow before him and none can keep alive his own soul. He shall have a seed to serve him. It shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born. That he hath done this. It is his by right. Psalm 110. The Lord said unto my Lord. Sit at thou my, my right hand until I make the nations a footstool. The, the psalm that is most commonly on the lips of the apostles. To explain to us the significance of the Messiah. All the nations belong to him. And any authority that the devil has is a usurped authority. He is a liar. And not only that, he is already cast down. Turn to, to Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 20. The 70 have been sent out by Jesus Christ, and they come back exuberant, again with great joy, saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from the heavens. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions 
and all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you, notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. The joy is not so much that they are partaking of power, because Satan could give the same power, deceitfully to be sure, But they're subject to them in the name of Jesus Christ because they are part of his. And that should be their joy. But the, the power of the usurper is a power, not an authority. And it's overthrown. It is cast down. But John, in chapter 12, uh, verses 28 through 33, uh, Jesus says, Father, glorify thy name. And then came there a voice out of heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. The people therefore that stood by heard it and said that it thundered. Another said, an angel spoke to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, shall draw all men unto me. And this he said, signifying that death he should die. That, that in the exaltation of Christ or in the, the crucifixion of Christ, you have the downfall of the kingdom of Satan that exercise no great power anymore. And this is why the Holy Spirit is given to the church. I'll turn back to John 16 in the upper room, uh, verses 8 through 11. He says, uh, it's expedient that I go away, that the Comforter may come to you. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged, or we might read it, condemned. So, he has a power, but it's a usurped power. And he's a liar, and he knows he's a liar. He must know that he's a liar. Although, to be fair, after we give ourselves to lies, we often start to believe them. And one who has given himself to lies from the very beginning is also perhaps subject to that as well. That he might ruin the attempts of the Lord. And and it behooves us to ponder what is the devil's goal. Of course, we read it in flat language in verse 7. If thou therefore wilt worship me or fall down before me, this once, all shall be thine. This, this one act of homage you can offer unto me as a compromise. I mean, after all, I have it as a vassal from the Lord. And if you have it as a vassal for me, ultimately it is a vassalage of the Lord. It is a small bit of compromise, and you don't have to drink that bitter cup of woe. The judgment against sin. That's what he's setting before Jesus Christ. You need to understand, these are archetypical temptations. They are temptations of the Messiah as the Messiah. There are things that do not affect us and and are that we are revealed to see how he is is qualified to be our savior. But there are aspects of these temptations that are common to all temptations. And one of the great temptations that the devil will give, I mean, it does come for blatant Rebellion. Uh, we see this in the world of, of great men and people of power or people with no power whatsoever that out of desperation they turn to 
uh, to Lucifer and Satan and the devil. It does happen. Witches are a thing. Uh, Sorcerers were a thing, are a thing perhaps. But that's not the way he most commonly works. And usually he has to prime the prompt even for there. Instead of denial of God, he offers compromise and coexistence. To turn a blind eye here, to do just one little thing there. And you can have all the glories. And you can be victorious. That doesn't work anywhere. If you have principles, you're not going to accomplish your principled goals by compromise. It's not to say that compromise is all wrong. It's not to say that, that we ought not to forbear of ourselves for the sake of another. Jesus will teach this. Paul teaches this. But it's never in things that draw away from the glory of God. It's never under principles and morals. You cannot, you cannot sell the farm and expect to keep it. You cannot, you cannot compromise your, your principles and expect to keep them. Because once one falls, they fall together. You may hold on to some here and there, but it won't be the same. And Jesus, Jesus sees through this. Jesus will serve God and God alone, his Father. You're saying Jesus is God. Yes, he is, but he is also a human in the flesh. That his humanity was a real humanity. It wasn't a fake humanity. He wasn't a demigod. He is and continues to be, by the way, Jesus in the flesh, to which he calls us, and Jesus, according to his divine nature, the Son of God. And Jesus, standing there, resists the devil, not as the Son of God, but as the Son of Man. Because he's there doing what Adam did not do. He's there to gather to himself a new humanity. And Jesus will show his devotion unto his Father and his Father alone. And this is what he tells us. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan. He starts off with a firm, non-compromising statement. He's not going to let the devil read what he tells him in a way. He's not going to let the devil come back with a, with a sort of a, a weasel excuse. Uh, uh, he's, not going to let the, he's not going to give the devil a foothold. When you're negotiating with somebody about something, you're calling the customer service uh, product, you always go with a firm belief of what you want because they will weasel something else out of you if they can. It does sometimes mean you should never be rude. But it does sometimes mean that you feel like you're being rude. And Christ here is being firm. You get behind me. You get away from me. You are not compromising with. And he bases it not on his own whims, but firmly upon the word of God. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Worship, fear, the Hebrew there translated worship. I mean, I mean, not just translated worship, but even brought into the New Testament as worship is fear. 
They belong together. And service, they belong only to God. If you, if you look at uh, the passage we read in Deuteronomy, verses 10, uh, chapter 6, verse 10 and, uh, through uh, 16, or 15. Uh, the Lord brought thee out of the land of Egypt and given you all these good things. And he says in verse 13, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and shalt swear by his name. You don't see the word only there. Until you read the rest of the, the paragraph, ye shall not go under other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Uh, the same is mentioned in Deuteronomy 10. It's also brought up by Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 7, I believe. Uh, yeah, chapter 7. That, that when we talk about service unto God, we're talking about an exclusive thing. God does not share his glory. Uh, we read together this morning, uh, or I called you to worship this morning from Isaiah, oh, excuse me, from Psalm 115, which opens, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. So God is glorious, and we're asking as a petition of our prayer that he would glorify his name some more. Because that's where our good is found in the glory of God. And for him to give his glory to another is actually to undermine himself. And to undermine true glory. And to undermine true goodness. In Isaiah uh, chapter 42. uh, God says through the prophet. Thus saith God the Lord. Verse 5. He that created the heavens and stretched them out. He that spread forth the earth and that which cometh out of it. He that giveth breath unto his people upon it. And the spirit to them that walk therein. I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness and will hold thy hand and will keep thee and give thee for a covenant of the people. For a light to the Gentiles, to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoner from the prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory will I not give to another. Neither my praise to graven images. Behold, the former things are come to pass, and new things do I declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. Or Isaiah 48, verse 9 through 11. It tells them, For my name's sake will I defer my anger, and for my praise I will refrain for thee, that I cut thee not off. Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee in the furnace of affliction. For my own name's sake, even for my own name's sake will I do it. For how should my name be polluted? And I will not give my glory to another. This is his Father's will. This is uh, the divine glory of the Father and the Son will is in the world, bearing the affliction of man, so that God's mercy is not compromised by his justice, and his justice is not compromised by his mercy. We have Psalm 85.10, and it's reference to what happens on the cross. Mercy and justice kiss. They're reconciled to each other. God is pouring out the vast judgment against sin. But he's being merciful to sinners by pouring it upon his son, upon the Messiah, who is willingly taking it so that he might glorify not only be merciful to the church, but primarily that he might glorify his father. John 10, 17 and 18. This is why he lays down his life and takes it up again, that his father might be glorified.
There is only one master. You cannot serve God and mammon because you will end up hating God. You can't compromise. Now, when we serve God and Him only, that doesn't mean that there aren't hierarchies of power. Romans 16, uh, oh, it's, yeah, Romans 13, 1. All the powers that be are ordained of God. But they have to be powers that are ordained of God, that bring glory to God, that we serve them in service to God, and we do not unite ourselves with the usurper or those that set themselves against the Lord God. That is not the proper hierarchy. But we need to understand that the devil need not win you to himself. You need to understand that he doesn't have to get you to love him. All he has to do is get you to compromise your love of God. To call you away from that. Because God will not give his glory to another. And if he can ruin you by, by ruining your love to the Lord, he's done what he designs to do. But Christ's rebuke is for you. Notice that he uses scripture. He doesn't stand in the power of the incarnate God. He doesn't stand in, in with the angels that God will give him to succor him after the devil leaves. What does he stand upon? The law and declaration and revelation of God's will. He stands upon scripture. He has it memorized or at least that part of it, he can rebuke the devil with the word of God. And he does so. And that's, that's, a, that's a sword that is given into your hand as well, as Paul will say in Ephesians 6. It is the sword of the word of God, able to, dis, uh, to, to sever between spirit and spirit. It is your weapon. Note he also rebukes when he's using it. He rebukes that call to compromise and he declares it to be a satanic uh, uh, device or work of the enemy by labeling him adversary, Satan there. Note that Luke never calls the devil there Satan. Uh, Jesus does. He's always calling him the devil. Uh, but Jesus names him as the enemy, uh, the, uh, the adversary. And it is your duty to follow here, by the way, as well. James, in James chapter 4, verse 6 and 8, says, Approach unto God, and God will approach unto you. Flee from the devil, and he will flee from you. Rebuke the devil, and he will go. 1 Peter 5, 8 through 11, Be careful, be wary of your adversary, the devil, for roaring and poaching about as, as a hungry lion. Him rebuke, and stand firm upon Christ. What compromise does is gives the devil the knife that he will use in your back. This is why why politics is never good for the church. This is why we cannot unite ourselves to political parties, because they are all about compromise. And we think about how many times have you voted for a single issue, perhaps abortion, perhaps something else, and how many times has the godly thing been compromised and thrown away because somebody wanted wealth and money and changes the economy? Because that's really all that politics matters about is, is the devil, dollar. I was going to say the devil, but how different are they really? You can't do it. You can't compromise. It is your own rule. 
But as I mentioned, Jesus resists as one of us and for us, his church. He takes refuge in the law and the testimony. The law and the testimony that is available for you. And as an example, there are some things that are not up for debate. There are some principles that ought not to ever be reconsidered. The glory of God is chief amongst them. It's not on the table for discussion. Get thee behind me, Satan. He says that not just to Satan. He says it to even Peter, who has heard that Jesus is going to the cross and thinks there's some better way. Who, in fact, is just re-echoing, as you will see throughout the Gospels, these three temptations are re-echoed constantly to Jesus Christ in the form of Pharisees, Sadducees, and his own disciples. His own family a couple of times. And he, just as he does with the devil, there's a firm no. Get thee behind me, Satan. You do not know what you're talking about. It's not up for discussion. When you're out in the world, when you're on your day-to-day activities, when things come up, it will always come up as a, as, a, as a very reasonable thing. If you just do this, go along to get along, you won't really have to go all the way. Uh, this is, you know, you see, perhaps you're a college student or you're hanging out with the guys or the gals and, you know, there's a party. I mean, old people do this too. We'll just go. We don't really have to participate. No. No. Read this book about this or that sort of transgender thing. See how it might... No! I'm not going to do anything that takes away from the glory of God. That is a firm, unmovable principle. And you you do yourself a lot of good if you don't do it out loud because we're Southerners and we're polite. uh, Remind yourself, this person... Is, is offering me what the devil would offer me. Whether or not I like this person, he is right now my enemy. And the discussion needs to end. It needs to stop. You need to flee from temptation. Is Joseph with Potiphar's wife, not trying to reason with her, but fleeing if it meant leaving his clothes behind and going to jail for the very crime that he resisted doing. That is giving all glory to God. Not compromise. Because we're never going to win that way. The church is never going to reach the lost by by winking at God's commands. It's never going to uh, win the lost by ceasing to be the church. The kingdom of Christ. You're never going to know the victory over sin in your own life if you're constantly carving out little places of compromise with the world. But in Christ, the devil is defeated. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And we know that we are insufficient for these things. But we praise you that you, our Savior, went before and conquered the devil on our behalf. We ask, dear Lord, that we would participate in your victory. That we would know the glory, your glory, in trampling Satan under our feet. Give us the courage to do so. 
Give us the resolve to do so. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.